Hi, Simon Hill here. Enjoy our podcast. If you'd like to help us keep delivering the sort of quality football chat you want, then you can show your support by making a donation. Big or small, however much you can afford, we appreciate all your help and every cent will be ploughed back into improving production. Thanks in advance from all of us at Shim, Spider and so much more. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. much more. Take it away, fellas. Hello again. Great to have your company for another edition of Shim Spider and so much more. You continue to download our episodes in great numbers, well over 20,000 for all our various episodes combined now. So thank you for all your support. This week, our special guest is Adelaide United Director of Football, Bruce Jitte. Before that, we'll be discussing the start date of the new A-League season. Does anyone actually know when it is? The latest comings and goings, mainly goings from the A-League, and the Asian Champions League finally gets a home in Qatar. All to come with Zelko Kalats and Craig Moore. How are you, boys? Good to see you. Spider, how are you, son? What's happening in Greece? Oh, mate, uh, everything's all good. I tell you, every time I go down and start the podcast, the guy at reception just thinks, mate, this guy is seriously not normal. Starting at 3.45am, <laughs> yeah. he's thinking, all right, I'll go get your cappuccino, I'll get you started. <laughs> The little heart starter. Spider, I see that the fixtures are out in the Greek Super League 2. You've got Apollon Larissa away first off October the 25th. What do you know about them? Well, what I do know, it's a little bit like Greek football. It's like Demtel, but wait, there's more. We actually <laughs> start till the 7th of November now. <laughs> 7th of November? Yeah. So we've been given a we've been given a two-week buffer, Maury, just because of the situation with the club and how... You know how long it took us to get players in, so the club has been extended two weeks to get prepared for the season. So our first match is seventh November against Doxa Drama at home. Hey, Spice, so you're, so you're saying that? So you just you as just your club has been given the the exemption of two weeks? Uh, I think there's another club called uh, Rhodes who have got uh, extra two weeks as well, Maury, because they've just they've been promoted from the third division up because of another club had some financial difficulty. Wow. 
Drama for uh, Spider. Drama for you as well, Maury. You're causing problems even ahead of the big old firm clash this weekend. You went to see a game at the weekend and people are not happy. Tell us about it. <laughs> oh, mate, social media. Eh? Um, <laughs> I went and watched uh, a cup game, uh, Dundee United against uh, Peterhead at, at the weekend. I was invited along by Tony Ashgar, the, the director of football there. But as we've seen in a lot of games, no fans are allowed in. And um, there was a few unhappy fans that I managed to, to get an invite to the game and they weren't able to, to get along and watch their team. So frustration isn't there for the fans, mate. And didn't they let me know? Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Oh, Maury, mate, is that the game that I've seen you with your beautiful brown dancers? The matching moody blue, son. The shoes. What, what were we like? <laughs> <laughs> Good job it wasn't a Celtic Rangers game, Maury. That's, uh, then you would have been. They were outstanding, son. Mate, compliments. Yeah, appreciate Yeah, Simon, the, the compliments Rangers... Compliments to you and Johnny Viola. They were, they were fantastic matching brown shoes. Yeah. Rangers, Rangers Celtic game, as uh, you were kind of mentioning there, Simon, obviously that's coming up after the, the international break. Um, mate, the game that stops a nation. Um, the, the first one of the season, which is massive. Um, Kind of live update there at the moment. There's been a few uh, COVID cases within the, the, the Celtic squad. So that's probably the talking uh, point at the moment leading into this first Old Firm game. Okay. Good to be with you guys again. Um, let's get into it with Simon Says. Simon Says. Now, this week's Simon Says was prompted by a tweet sent to me from Anthony Gretsch, who said this. So can anyone tell me when the new A-League season starts? How, where, anything? I've paid my membership and bought my kit. How about talking to your fans? It's a fair point, Anthony. We heard this week that the CBA is close to being finalised, well, at least as close as the independent A-League is. Uh, The PFA is understood to have been waiting on the key terms, which they say have been slow to arrive from the club's representative body, the APFCA. Uh, The salary cap has been set at 2.1 million, we think, although there's a few add-ons due to salary cap banking. It could be around 2.3 or even 2.6 pro rata. Uh, Sydney FC, meantime, announced this week they'd done a deal with their players unilaterally. So is it actually a CBA at all? Does anybody know? Meantime, the new season is set to start in December, approximately. Some are saying the 27th although that may be complicated by the Asian Champions League. As for the W League, for a country set to host the FIFA Women's World Cup in three years' time, there's not much discussion about when that will resume, although it is assumed it will now be next year. For a nation that just last week openly stated its ambition of becoming one of the top five global women's leagues, that's probably a bit of a concern. Now, COVID, of course, has taken a huge wrecking ball to many sporting competitions. And in fairness, constructing a new A-League or W-League season is not easy when no one knows if the hub model is going to be the only way of completing fixtures, a scenario that, of course, is almost impossible to apply in a women's competition where many players depend upon other jobs to make ends meet. However, the mainstream media headlines this week do perhaps tell their own story. Here's just a couple. Going backwards... Player quits game at 28. Exodus to Indian Super League highlights deepening A-League malaise. Now, there are some positive headlines as well surrounding the likes of Riley McGree and his move to Birmingham, our Mobile's qualification with the Champions League, Hayley Razzo winning through to Wembley with Everton, but they are mainly from overseas. 
The domestic game, however, appears mired in negativity, highlighted by the fact that an AAP report this week outlined Wellington Phoenix's plan to take FFA to court over a contract dispute, the details of which are rather unclear. Now, the case is due to be heard on Tuesday. My mail, however, is it will not get to that stage and that pretty soon Phoenix's ongoing place in the A-League will be confirmed. So why the obfuscation? Well, unless I'm mistaken, much of this concerns the ambiguity about the unbundling of the domestic league from the governing body, which, of course, leads us back to where we started. As we said on this podcast a few weeks ago, the separation of the A-League from the FFA needs to be concluded as a matter of urgency. Without it, the lack of clarity, COVID notwithstanding, surrounding the future of the main shop window for the game in this country, male and female, will continue. We're now nine months away from the end of the current television deal, which props up the professional sport. The A-League is, metaphorically at least, drifting towards the cliff edge. So if the commitment to changing the narrative surrounding football, as outlined in the revised 11 principles, is to become reality, then that journey needs to start now. The clubs already have control over the commercial properties of the competition, so what are they doing with it? It'd be of comfort to see some outcomes, such as a naming rights sponsor for the A-League, for example. There are lots of positive stories surrounding football in this country. The Women's World Cup increased government investment in infrastructure, the fact that so many young players have been given and are going to be given their opportunity in professional football over the coming months, and the fact that, that with those 11 principles, we at least have the semblance of a plan for the future. But we can no longer rely on the mainstream media to publicise or promote those stories in any great depth. They have made their priorities quite clear. And let's be honest, we've helped them reach that assessment through our own inertia and ineptitude. We have to help ourselves. An independent A-League, the clubs assure us, will unlock new investment, which is needed to build a better, stronger professional game for both men and women. I think few would disagree. So what is the roadblock? Is it legal complexities, stakeholder disagreement, club infighting, money? Probably all of the above to a greater or lesser extent. But the game simply cannot afford to wait much longer. If we go into another domestic campaign, whenever that might be, with the status quo intact, then we just run the clock down even further, which, of course, is what we've been doing for the best part of two years. In the meantime, the TV deal has all but halved, ratings have dropped, top players are leaving, the football media has all but disappeared, and the football community has lost a bit of faith, let's be honest. So give us reason to hope. It's not too late, but it might be soon. Get it done and let's move forward. And in the meantime, to go back to Anthony's question, a bit of solid information will be a good start. Aside of transfers, the last news update on the official A-League website was regarding the Dolan Warren Awards on September the 10th. That's over a month ago. All right, let's move on to Hard Talk. Hard Talk. Now, Hard Talk is brought to you by Streamgate, which has been live streaming since 2008, specialising in custom-built stream pages, pay-per-view and multi-language streaming. They can cater to large online conferences with multiple simultaneous streams and destinations, including all social media channels servicing clients Australia-wide. Go to streamgate.com.au or find them on Instagram. Well, first up in uh, hard talk this week and, and leading on from Simon Says, guys, Maury, I know that you have 
uh, a strong view on the story that appeared in the Sydney Morning Herald this week, which confirmed that Chris Harold is to retire from football at, uh, at the age of 28. Yeah, it's a, it's a sad it's a sad story, isn't it? I mean, I think uh, Daniel Bowles was another one earlier on that kind of um, retired early uh, to pursue other options. Uh, loads. Uh, let's not forget the female side of that. I mean, over the years, there's been loads of females, Simon, that have had to do exactly the same thing in terms of uh, take a, a different path to to the football. Um, you know, due to the chaos, the chaos and and, and the uncertainty, uh, and you know, Chris Harold's story is probably like uh, many many players in terms of the experiences over the last five to ten years in terms of the uncertainty, always fighting for pay always not knowing what next season is going to, to, to deliver. So at the point we're at in Australian football, we do need that clarity. And we've touched on it many times. We need that clarity. We need that certainty. Um, there is a huge reset in football worldwide. And this is also going to be part of the new process. And I guess what the, the new game is going to look like in terms of wages, Simon. Spider, do you have a view? No, I, I agree. I think uh, the the resetting football, especially back home, uh, still in Europe and South America and all these countries, uh, it's still quite professional. Back home, it's definitely a reset because what we do got to remember, it is only one league that is professional back home at the moment. Yeah. So, yeah, look, it's disheartening for Chris Harold and these other players who think they can't make a living out of the game anymore in Australia. And, you know, they have to pursue other options. They have no choice. Yeah. But the spider, the reset, um, I don't know how you feel, and Simon would be interested to hear your thoughts as well. I actually think it's been something that the game has been crying out for in Australia. We, we've been speaking for a long time about players that end up at six or seven clubs and this rotation of kind of the same talent, whereas this reset, I think, is going to bring fresh new quotas to, to football clubs, which I think is quite exciting for, for Australian football. Yeah, look, I mean, I agree. And I, I think the only thing that we're waiting for is, is what does it look like? <laughs> you know, okay, if we're going to have a reset, brilliant. And I, I don't disagree with you, Maury, that it's probably required. I'd be interested to see what the, uh, the foreign quota looks like, particularly, you know, post-COVID, if, if people can't get in and out of the country. That's good, potentially, for young talent. Uh, we also need a reset, as we know, for, for young players in terms of the, the, the lack of minutes that they're getting in the professional competitions. But we just want to know what it is. Um, and I know that we're all impatient, and I know that times are difficult. But um, anyway, let's hope they have some answers for us soon. Spider, I want to ask you, um, we talk about Chris Harrell, and it, it is hugely disappointing that he's retiring at 28. We wish him all the very best. Um, but while the players do have good grounds to complain, they have to help themselves a little bit as well, don't they? I mean, the story this week that Joey Champness is to return to the A-League, but not with the Newcastle Jets, um, as agreed when he left to, to go to America to launch his musical career, an agreement that was lodged with the FFA that if he came back, it would be with the Newcastle Jets. And he's going to go and play for Brisbane. Yeah, uh, has that got something to do with the salary cap as well? Uh, the agreement of what he was going to come back to at Newcastle? Uh, look, we don't know the ins and outs. That's probably one to, to touch base with Newcastle and find out what the ins and outs is. But uh, he has to look after his own future. Uh, more he's spoken about the reset. We've, we've heard roughly that the salary cap is going to be $2.1 million. I mean, that, that's, that's quite a significant drop in what it was last year. So... 
I agree with Maury. Foreigners, I don't think we're going to get as many uh, coming to Australia. The quality of the foreigners, I'm not too sure about what we're going to get there either. So it does mean our young talent is going to get an opportunity. But Maury, Maury, just to push the point on Joey Champness, Jets, okay, you can say that the player has to look after his future. I understand that. But the club allowed him to look after his future in another venture. That they agreed to to sort of you know terminate his contract. If you want to go to America and be a rapper, a musical superstar, then off you go, son. No problems. We'll we'll allow you to pursue your dream on the one condition that if you do come back to football, you come back to us. That seems fair enough to me. And if it's lodged with the FFA, then the player should stick by that, really, shouldn't he? They did the right thing by him. No, very much so, uh, Simon. Like I says, I mean, I know Joey Champness firsthand. He was a young kid coming through uh, when I was at Brisbane. Fantastic uh, talent and uh, an exceptional athlete. Pursued his musical career. Look, I would like to think that, um, you know, Laurie McKinnon, although he's confirmed that um, he's going to be with Brisbane rather than Newcastle, like the discussions would have been had. There's, there's a reason, as Spider mentioned, that maybe we, we don't necessarily know about uh, publicly at this moment in time, Simon. Um, you know, his contract did suggest that he goes back to, to Newcastle Jets, but um, yeah, I mean, Brisbane, Brisbane have been the lucky ones there. Eh? Like, like it says, I, I think they've got themselves a, a very exciting, still young player. Uh, for Newcastle Jets, there's a reason why he's ended up at, at Brisbane Raw. At the moment, we just don't know exactly. Uh, the reasons why. Okay, well, let's hope that becomes uh, clear in the coming weeks uh, on the face of it. It does seem rather unfair, in my opinion, to the Newcastle Jets, but we shall see. Um, just uh, picking up on uh, the, the general discussion around the, what the A-League looks like in future, Graham Arnold, again, taking aim at the amount of minutes played by young players or the lack of uh, uh, this this last week and pointing the finger in part of the, uh, the Y-League with its shortened eight-game season spider. Arnie's saying that uh, physically our players can <clears throat> no longer compete in Asia uh, and is suggesting that part of the solution, along with players playing more minutes in the NPL, which I think is going to happen anyway, is also playing the Y-League almost like a, as a mini-tournament at the end of the NPL campaign. Do we like that idea? I, I love that idea. I, I think that's an extra eight games or nine games, whatever it is. Um but I think if all clubs took it seriously and they used it as a proper competition, I think it'd be fantastic. But once again, Simon, it's, it's a little bit to do with money, uh, like our game overall, its costs. Um, if they had the opportunity to play under 23 players from each A-League club in that Y-League, it would be very competitive and it would be excellent games. It's another two or three months of football leading into the MPL for these guys which is added games. And I can't complain about that. Anything with added games for these players is beneficial. Is a big tick, correct. Okay. Um, the AFC Champions League, the East Zone, uh, it's finally been confirmed this yeah. week that our three clubs, Sydney, Melbourne Victory and, and Perth Glory, are going to head to Doha uh, to complete their commitments in both the group stage and if they qualify beyond. They'll be going there in November. <clears throat> we sort of talked about this a little bit before in the podcast. The final is scheduled for the 19th of December. Um, if our clubs, if they get to the latter stage of that competition, then presumably yeah. with the same quarantine regulations in place due to COVID in Australia, they're going to have to be in isolation for two weeks when they get back, which all of, all of a sudden then you know, calls into question 
are they allowed to play in the A-League or when can they play in the A-League? It's all a bit of a dog's breakfast, all this, isn't it? Mate, we'll be, yeah. it'll be, it'll be a reschedule. Spider, you were laughing uh, the last podcast we've done. <laughs> my thought process around about this AFC Champions League. <laughs> uh, but, but again, we've kind of now we've got the hub sorted. Uh, Simon dates in terms of the, the final fixtures. I don't know whether we've seen. Um, 19th, 19th of December is supposedly when the final will take place, if they get yeah, that so far. In terms of those group fixtures yet for, for, for those Australian clubs, uh, still, I guess, not, not clear. If we're, you, know, you touch on we get an Australian club through to, to the final, talk of the A-League starting the 28th of December. Um, so reschedule certain games uh, immediately for, for, for teams that are going to have to come back to Australia to quarantine. So again, I guess a few... Uh, more challenges um, operational-wise for um, you know for the A-League when it does restart if we do have teams that are, are at that pointy end of the competition. There's a lot of Yeah, them. don't worry about that, boys. We, we won't be getting to the pointy end of the competition. And, and that's, not, that's not me being negative. I'm not, I'm not being negative. I know like, it sounds stupid to say, but seriously, are we going to get uh, a team to the grand final on the 19th of December? No chance. Uh, with the way, I hope I'm wrong. I really hope I'm wrong. But uh, I can't see that happening, especially with the situation we are with players getting lost. And, you know, we're talking about Sydney FC, who's probably the club that's least lost them at players, but they've lost LaFondra now. Very hard to change these kind of players in a short term. Will their strong be good enough? I don't think so, so I don't think that'll be a problem. But I think the big problem will be for these guys is obviously coming back and isolating for another two weeks. Like this is great. This is crazy for them. You've you've segued us very nicely there, uh, Spider, into talking about some of the comings and goings, as we said in the intro, mainly goings uh, from the A League. And you mentioned Adam Lafondra there. He's joined the Exodus to the Indian Super League. Um, you look at the list of Australians over there now. David Williams, Brad Emman, Eric Partaloo, James Donachy, Joel Kiernese, Dylan Fox, Jacob Tratt. Uh, it's, it's really becoming the destination of choice. Two questions, Maury. A, is, is that a good move for Adam LaFondra? I guess it is financially. Uh, but B, more importantly, can Sydney FC pull off another big trick in replacing him just as LaFondra replaced Bobo so well? Yeah, I mean, look... It, it, Sydney have proven over, over the, the, the last years that they are able to recruit and recruit well. Uh, Lafondre, look, financial decision to go to India, uh, no issues with that. And, and certainly also with some of the Australian players that have made that choice. Um, a lot of players out of contract now, Simon, in, in terms of the window just uh, recently closing. So there will be some decent players that, that, that are available. Um, the problem that you always have at this time and when you're looking to recruit is normally you've had a player that, that potentially has not played for, for a long time, competitive football, but we normally have such a long pre-season in Australia that they get up to speed pretty quick because maximum spides, maximum European pre-season is five weeks, whereas we, we do normally the three to, three to four months in Australia. 16-week pre-season in Australia. Longest pre-season in the history of the world football. <laughs> he said through bitter experience <laughs> um, let's let's uh, talk about Riley McGree who uh, completed a very interesting move this week he signed for Charlotte the new MLS expansion club who then immediately loaned him out to uh, Birmingham City in the English Championship 
Um, interesting move, big opportunity for Riley, I guess. Um, is that the right club, the right environment for him, Spider? Um, look, it'd be exciting with with what you see the MLS is doing. It's it's very exciting uh, for them to come in and buy him so early. Massive move by the club and to loan him at Birmingham at the moment. I, I think that's fantastic because I, I think it'll harden Riley up. Uh, Maury knows the championship a lot better and English football a lot better than me. Playing in the championship are competitive matches every Saturday, every Wednesday that will harden him up as a footballer. Uh, as a career move, Charlotte obviously paid the right amount of money for him. And sometimes in football, you've got to go uh, where the money is as well. And I think it's a good competition, the MLS, and getting better. Maury? Um, look, Riley McGree was on the radar of a lot of clubs, uh, Simon. I, I, I pushed Riley McGree to, to both Rangers and Celtic. Um, so to see him uh, sign and end up uh, in Birmingham, the championship, I think is a, a fantastic um, opportunity for Riley. Uh, Charlotte, in terms of the new MLS franchise, I was trying to think there must be some kind of connection. I don't know whether the, the owners, whether there's some American influence at Birmingham. It's a strange one how he, Charlotte to Birmingham, but uh, a great a great opportunity. Look, Riley McGreen might not end up ever playing for Charlotte in the MLS. He might do that well here, and and all of a sudden, uh, Spides, you've got a an investment in the player immediately before he actually plays for um, Charlotte in the in the MLS. Another another mention outside of Riley McGreen, another Adelaide player um, is Lachlan Brook, who also signed a a three year deal at Brentford. Uh, so, yeah, no, fantastic for both players. Ryan McGree, a great talent, well well known over here, but Simon as well in the in the UK. We'll uh, we'll speak to Bruce Jitto, of course, a bit later about uh, the various comings and going at uh, Adelaide, and there have uh, been a few. Um, uh, Spider, any, any more Australian signings for Zanti? I mean, you, you've signed up uh, half the league, I think, since <laughs> in the last few weeks. Any more? Oh, we haven't done that bad. Um, we're just we're just doing the Indian thing, and uh, instead of them going to India, they're coming to European football. I think we're given a great opportunity over here. <laughs> you sure are. Um, any interest in in Harrison Delbridge? He's he's a free agent at the moment, which is interesting. Yeah, I, I've seen that. I'm I'm quite surprised that uh, Delbridge is still free. Um, Maybe he's waiting for a lucrative offer to Bangladesh or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> Bangladesh. Swide, you're right. I've spoken with Harrison. He certainly is waiting um, for, for the, the right opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's some options, I, I, you know, Asia in terms of the bigger dollars that he might be looking for there. Uh, America is obviously, you know, where he, he played a long time. Uh, so there, there's interest uh, there but he's an interesting one Simon I mean the City Group will be keen to get him tied up but again Harrison's probably a little bit uncertain about what the future is of Australian football so we talk about the knock-on effects of the the lack of certainty in Australia it is having an impact on players in terms of the decision that um, they're going to make Simon moving forward. Okay, uh, just a, a word about um, the board elections, which are going to take place in November. Ramo Nogarotto has confirmed he's going to stand down or not going to seek uh, a re-election in November, which uh, is interesting. Uh, Stefan Kamaz, according to reports, is about to make a return. Now, Stefan, of course, has a long 
history in football. He was uh, with the old Soccer Australia. He's been on the, on the board of Football New South Wales. Um, he was also very vocal in his criticisms about the, uh, the, the sacking of Alan Stadgick and certainly the way that the process was conducted, which could make for some rather interesting board meetings, wouldn't you think? I, I Look, I personally think, Simon, that um, anybody that um, has the ability to speak out for what is wrong uh, in terms of what has happened in the game that wasn't right. Uh, you know, Alan Stadgick's situation, we know, was a disaster. Um, mate, I, I'm, I'm all for it, you know. Like, at the end of the day, there's a lot of things that we can do better in Australia. There's a lot of things, and I don't want to be negative, but there's a lot of things that we've done very, very well. But at that level, it's important that we, we do have people that are not afraid to, to, to voice their opinion, even if it's not a popular one, but it's in the best interest of the game. Okay, just uh, just before we uh, move on to overseas matters, uh, Spider, I know you want to give a shout-out to all the MPL clubs around the country whose season's uh, about to finish or, or has finished in some cases. Yeah, Simon, look, yeah, we spend a lot of time talking about the negative stuff in football and the things that we are getting wrong and blah, blah, blah. But I think the things that we've got right, and I think people deserve to hear the applause of what they've done well, is the MPL New South Wales. And I know there's other MPL uh, around the country that have played as well. But I think New South Wales, all clubs should be uh, applauded Applaud. for, for actually playing four months of football when it was so easy to say, we're not going to play and not play for a year. Uh, they're in the semi-final stage now. I know uh, Rockdale, uh, Sydney Olympic, Sydney United and Wollongong have the semi-finals to play now, which is fantastic. So all the players made sacrifices. The clubs made sacrifices. Coaches, the presidents, boards, uh, the supporters come out and supported their clubs in these, in these hard times. So they should be all applauded and uh, well done. And great job to everyone to actually play four months of football and exciting games. They were fantastic football matches. So well, well done. Well said, Spider. Are you going to claim a medal if um, if Sydney United win it? I don't know if they'll give me one. <laughs> sit, sit nicely with your Champions League medal. Thanks, guys, for the moment. Uh, let's move overseas. London calling. London calling. Well, the Nations League fixtures are taking precedence in Europe, of course, with the club scene taking a back seat uh, this week. Uh, Maury, Scotland's through on penalties against Israel. They're now going to face Serbia for a place in Euro 2020 or, or 2021. And they beat Slovakia as well in a friendly. They're unbeaten in a year, the Scots. Ah, the Scots are flying. And by the way, you're saying they got a result yesterday or overnight against Slovakia. Lyndon Dykes, 1-0. Yeah, uh, but look, uh, Scotland go through on penalties uh, against Israel to play in the playoff against Serbia, which will be a tough, tough game. That'll be an away match. Um, but they haven't qualified for a major tournament since 1998, Simon. So a lot of excitement here. A lot of excitement uh, with the national team and hoping um, that they can get to the, the, the major, the major tournament that they've missed for so, so long. Spider, um, I know you're obviously of Croatian heritage, but uh, you're in Greece at the moment, which uh, is an interesting one for us here in Australia because uh, John Van Skip and Michael Valkanis are the, are the coaching team in charge there. Uh, they lost a friendly to Austria 
ahead of their Nations League clash with Moldova, but they did beat them by two goals to nil. I don't know if you're uh, keeping an eye on those particular games and how the Greek national team are playing under Van Skip and Volkanis. Mate, funny you say that. I actually did watch both games. Um, and they actually played well against Austria. It was actually quite refreshing to watch Greece play such an open brand of football. Uh, and what what's happened here, Maury and Simon, is John Van Skip's got rid of some of the older players with big names. And he's gone with a younger brigade of players. And you know what? They're actually brave in their playing out from the back and the way they're playing. And I think the, the people are actually supporting and getting behind the way they're playing. Uh, they were unlucky against Oscar. They played well. They copped a couple of late goals. Uh, in saying that, the game last night against Moldova was uh, you're almost better off like putting pins in your eyes. It wasn't. It wasn't great. <laughs> but they're, they're doing. They're doing a good job. And in this country here, everyone's a coach. Everyone has an opinion. So it really is a difficult job for for Vanskip. Okay, um, England defeating Belgium by two goals to one, the world's mm. ranked uh, team, which is a terrific result for mm. Gareth Southgate, who's had uh, a few off-field issues uh, to deal with, uh, players partying and uh, doing various things. Um, in terms of England, that leads us on to the story, Maury, of the Premier League's plan to show games on pay-per-view, which, to say the least, has not gone down well with the locals over there in the UK. £14.95 to watch matches that have been on free for six months and all with lower league uh, clubs trying to stay afloat. They can't get away with that, can they? No, you wouldn't think so. I mean, look, everybody's uh, feeling real pain and and, and in, in the pocket. So to, to be at this stage charging uh, money that was, uh, you know, for matches that have normally been for free, Simon, it's uh, it's not a great shout, is it? I mean, uh, look, England uh, are, are a team and a country that obviously have huge following and people want to support. But, yeah, it's probably it's probably not leaving a great taste in the mouths of, of, of the supporters when they're having a, in tough times, um, fork out fresh money uh, to watch games that normally they'd be getting I'm free to wear. Well, the other thing is, Spider, is that a lot of supporters, of course, have shelled out already for season tickets to to try and watch the games, which they can't at the moment because of COVID. They've already got a subscription to to Sky or BT or in some cases both. And now they're being asked to pay something else on top. I, I wonder if the Premier League clubs are sort of using this because as part of this package, they've included a bit of a sweetness saying, look, we're going we're gonna to help out the English Football League clubs. We'll put a big package of money uh, towards them. It's almost like holding the game hostage a little bit. Is that fair or am I being totally unfair? Oh, no. <laughs> That's the first thing I thought. That's the first thing I thought uh, about holding the game at hostage. I, I find it difficult to, to see that people and fans are the most important because they're the ones who fill our stadiums that actually make it exciting to come to play football in front of these people, mm-hmm. that they're forking out all this money, Simon, to, to watch football matches that actually at the moment aren't. And the other thing I was thinking about is I'd love to see the numbers that uh, these games are being watched at because no... No one's allowed at the stadiums at the moment. So the numbers must be through the roof. Mm. Uh, and where's this money going? Is it getting filtered back down to the lower lower tiers in England? I would love to know the numbers, really. Well, in, in, in fairness to the, the TV companies, I'm not sure that they were the, the ones that were actually driving this. 
uh, Sky and BT, I think they were a little bit uh, nervous about this uh, whole pay-per-view thing because they realised that it could reflect <laughs> badly on, on, on their companies. It's the Premier League clubs that have driven this. They voted 19 to 1 in favour of it, with only Leicester City abstain, abstaining Maury. Um, I, I think there's going to be huge pushback against this. Gary Neville already is, is just one who's, who's spoken out against it. Yeah, and, and on top of this, Simon, also, I mean, this, we're talking about national team stuff at club level, you know, because uh, fans are not being able to get to the games. A lot of clubs also are having this similar situation in terms of offering, um, you know, games that the, the fans can't attend. But again, the, the, the fans are paying for, for, for this right to, to watch these games. So hopefully, as Spider, you mentioned, um, you know, there might be a way where that can can help the game moving forward in terms of the financial pain that we know that the lower clubs, the lower clubs, which may come Christmas time, if there's not some kind of financial bailout uh, across world football, we are going to see some carnage. Oh, yeah. yeah. I don't think there's much doubt about that. Uh, all right. Thanks, guys, uh, for the moment. A couple of other news lines of interest before we move on to our final segment in Footballers' Lives. Uh, congratulations to Robbie Fowler, who's back in coaching. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market been appointed at East Bengal, very famous club in India for their debut season in the Indian Super League. Uh, and an interesting story in the Straits Times, football in Asia, footballers in Asia, it says in the paper in Singapore, are much more vulnerable than other parts of the world uh, under COVID to big wage cuts. Uh, that's according to FIFPRO, uh, Australia, one of only seven AFC nations, which is affiliated to FIFPRO. Many Asian nations, uh, the paper says, have hierarchical cultures so it's becoming increasingly difficult to establish effective dialogue uh, with the stakeholders. And it says that some players are even resorting to becoming uh, food street vendors to, to try and make ends meet, which is a real concern. Uh, COVID, of course, affecting the world game uh, right around the planet. All right, let's uh, move on to our final segment. And we've got another cracking guest in Footballers' Lives. Footballers' Lives. So our guest today was born in Arlington County, Virginia, in the good old US of A, but grew up in Sydney to parents from Togo and the Ivory Coast. He began his career as a junior in Sydney, but his first pro club was Adelaide United, where he played in the 2007 Grand Final and won the A-League's Rising Star Award before heading off for his first overseas stint with Gensher Beligi in Turkey. He returned in 2010 to play for Gold Coast United before rejoining Adelaide in 2011. His five years with the Reds included an FFA Cup win, a Premiership, and culminated in the 2016 Grand Final win before he rounded off his career with spells in South Korea with Suwon and then Indonesia with PSM Makassar. He won nine caps for Australia and is now the director of football with his beloved Adelaide United. It's a big podcast welcome. To Bruce Jitte, how are you, Brucey? 
Thanks, Simon. That's the most comprehensive intro I think I've ever done. <laughs> well done. I, I like to be detailed. I like to be detailed. Yeah, it's good. Um, Bruce, your, your background, as we mentioned, is, is rather unique. You could have played international football for, I think, four different countries. Uh, was yours always a football family or not? Not particularly. Um, my dad loved the game, um, obviously, from, from African background, obviously. So everyone in Africa is mad about, mad about football. My, my father was no different, but my dad was very academic. You know, he was a lecturer at uni. He was really keen on me not following a footballing pathway and, and getting into the academic side of life. You know, school was always number one for, for him. But, um, yeah, he did love the game. I mean, I'd wake up early and, and watch SBS to, to, you know, switch on SBS to watch the football when I was in you know, my younger years. Did you have um, a favourite always... team, Bruce? Me? I was an Arsenal man. Still am. Right. Yeah. Still am. But... Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's a long road back for Arsenal. <laughs> but I know what it's like. So, you know, when, when fans get upset with me or the club about decisions we make, I, 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 I can feel, I know what it feels like. So, yeah. The, the colour red has followed you around clearly all your life. And as we said, you grew up in Sydney. You had junior spells, Northern Spirit, Marconi Stallions. Uh, but it's, it's the city of Adelaide that has really been, you know, the, the, the stick of rock that's, uh, threaded throughout your career. How, how did that initial move to South Australia come about? Well, came about, I was at the AIS. Um, we, were, we were playing, I think it was uh, Japan and New Zealand. It was around Robin we were, we were playing in because at that time, <laughs> we didn't have any real competition to play in. Um, so similar issues in, in today's game. But look, uh, John, John Cosmina was there. There was a... There was a rule in the A-League that you had to have three players on the age of 21 and, and all this sort of stuff. So there was a number of A-League coaches there watching those games. Um, ended up with John Cosmina, asked myself and Nathan Burns to come to Adelaide for a trial. We, we came, there was one position. We knew that before we got here. Um, we came down together. Um, Burns, got the contract. I didn't. Back in back in that day, you know, they told me Burns was you know, more versatile, could play more positions, you know. Didn't tell me it was just better than I was, so, <laughs> which was nice. <laughs> but um, um, they had the short-term injury replacement contracts back then. And, you know, Shenking Chu was injured for a period. So I'd come back from the RES and, and played and, and trained here for a period. Then he'd get better, go back to the AIS. You know, Des Giraldi got injured. They called me back. Yeah. So it was it was a tough start. You know, I wasn't... You know, given the, the silver platter, if you like, um, it was very uh, unknown, you know, a bit of anxiety. Um, but you just persevere. You do what you have to do. I stayed fit when I went back to the AIS, um, always ready for that call up. And I was lucky for about four or five months of, of that season. I spent that in Adelaide and it ended up with not only playing in the grand final, um, but, but getting offered a, a full time contract in the end. Brucey, I wanted to touch on the start. Uh, there's a start for us all. That 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 desire, that passion, that that ambition. Uh, when, when when you first start out, we'll touch on your international uh, career a little bit later. Who who was your your idol growing up as a kid? For example, I you know Craig Johnston for me was 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 a, the one that I would follow. Um, is there somebody uh, that sticks out for you that really got you engaged and wanting to be a footballer in the first place? 
probably my immediate family, my brothers in the, in the first instance. But, you know, when I'm watching games and trying to emulate people, uh, for me, it was, it was Mark Viduka and Nicholas Anelka, actually. So, um, Anelka was at Arsenal, obviously. Um, uh, Dukes was, was at, at Leeds. And, you know, I wish I could have mixed and matched the best of the both of them. I would have had an outstanding career. But, you know, I, I did try to mould myself on, on, on those guys and, and, and did my best. I think the perseverance and stuff, that was just built within me. That's something, you know, I think you need to have that burning ambition inside you. You know, I, I go to a lot of school clinics, do a lot of community visits, and parents always ask me, what can I tell my son or daughter to make it and all this sort of stuff? And I, it's got nothing to do with the parents, really. You know, if the kid within themselves doesn't have that that fortitude to get knocked back, get that you know constructive criticism, and and be able to stand back up and prove people wrong and all the rest, you know, the chances are they're not going to make it. And if it's the parents pushing them, chances are they're not going to make it, and they'll resent the parents in the game. Yeah. So you know, but growing up, to answer your question, it was an Elka and, and and Dukes, and um. And yeah, I think that perseverance was just built in me from a young age. Bruce, uh, I just want to ask you about uh, that 2007 grand final. You were very young then. You came off the bench, I think, with half an hour uh, to play. Adelaide were already 4-0 down the day that Archie Thompson uh, had probably the best day of his life. Uh, you, you came on and played up front with Carl Veer, so you've just appointed full-time head coach. And your captain was Ross Aloisi, who you've just appointed <laughs> as his assistant. So it's funny how things... It's a boys' but, club. It's just a boys' club. <laughs> what are your memories of, of that day in particular? Look, the game is 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 a bit of a blur. I don't. I think I had one chance in in the game, but obviously watching from the bench for for the, that first hour, um, but just nothing went to plan. You know, obviously Ross got sent off early on. That that made it difficult. Victory scored early on. That made it even even more difficult. John Cosmina was suspended for the game, so he was you know he got suspended from the semi final after we'd won. I think he abused the referee after the penalty <laughs> shootout. <laughs> yeah. So he was watching. I was on the, the pitch when he did it. <laughs> yeah. So there was a lot of things that that didn't line up for us on that day. Um, as you know, a young 18, 19 year old, I just thought, you know, oh, that's okay. We'll play next year's grand final. <laughs> Little did I know that, you know, they come around very few and far between. And I remember Richie Allegic saying to myself and Burnsy that, you know, this is a big day. They don't come around often. You guys are young. You might get another one. But some of us guys, you know, might be our only sort of chance at it. And I remember thinking, no, we've got a good team. We'll be in the grand final every year, really, if we play to our potential and all this sort of stuff. Lo and behold, it wasn't until, you know, seven years, eight years later that, that I got the chance to be in another one. But um, it was a day that just didn't go to plan. It was, a you know, the best victory had their best day and it connected with our worst day and you get this blowout of, of, of the score. So, but in, in Carl and Ross, they were fantastic mentors to me. Um, you know, great culture builders. You know, they, they really you know, love South Australia and, it's interesting now. I'm in a I'm in a different sort of position, but you know I'm not a hierarchical type of individual. We we all work quite well together. Um, you you went uh, over to Turkey on on the back of that uh, particular season uh, before returning uh, 
to the Gold Coast. And we'll come on to your second stint with Adelaide shortly. But was playing in Turkey initially for Genshlerbalegi a real big culture shock? And it didn't quite work out for you over there, did it? No, it didn't. It wasn't a culture shock. Um, I mean, there were, there were, I wouldn't call it a shock. There were, there were things I was learning along the way pretty quickly. You know, the, the, the call to prayer five, five, five times a day. And, and, you know, you can hear it in your apartment because there's, there's that many mosques around. Um, so there were things that I wasn't obviously used to. Um, I was pretty well traveled. I feel as a, as a 20, 21 year old, I, I, you know, I've got a heap of family in Europe. I've got a heap of family in, in Africa. Um, I'd traveled a lot with, with young national teams, obviously moving somewhere and living somewhere, um, makes a, makes a big difference. It's, it's different to just going on a tour somewhere. Um, so I wouldn't say it's a culture shock. I think that the most difficult for me, thing for me was the lack of stability in a country like Turkey and, and at the club like Genshla. They, we, I think I had three or four coaches in that first season. Yeah. You know, and a change of coach really changes things up. I mean, if I was 28, it would have been water off a duck's back, would have been different. But the coach that brought me in, you know, he was gone after the first four weeks or five weeks of the season. The next coach that came in, um, he had his opinion of me was, was quite good. So I continued to play. Um, and then to the, towards the back end of that season, the coach came in uh, who didn't rate me at all. You know, and you know, I was a hard-working type of player, and I tried to work harder and harder, and wasn't getting anywhere. Um, I was still part of the national team setup then, so honestly, I'd look forward to the the national team games every month, the camps. And I'm like, okay, just three games, get as many minutes as you can, and then you can go away with the national team and see some Aussie boys. To be fair, we had a few Aussies like Mila Yednak came um, um, halfway through that season. James Troisi he was there as well. Um, so we were all at the same club, which was helpful. But yeah, just the inconsistency in the coach. Coach makes such a big difference. And in Adelaide, I was lucky to have Aurelio Vidmar, who really took a keen interest in improving me as an individual player. You know, so John Cosmina would look after the shape and the structures and everything. But, you know, video time after time pull me aside and say, look, let's work on your finishing. Let's work on this, work on that. In Turkey, you expect it to be the finished product. You know, they're yeah. like, hold on, we're not working on your individual skills. What is this? <laughs> you know, and not that I needed a coach to pull me aside, but there was still so much I had to learn about the game um, that it's not neglected there, but it's just expected that you, you know that by then. But, but I didn't. So hence the, the turbulence. And Thomas Dole, German coach, came in in that, in that second year. Um, he didn't rate me at all. I played less and less. Missed out on on going to the to the World Cup due to a lack of game time in Turkey, and that's when I started to to think, you know, it's all well and good to be in Europe, but it's no point if you're not playing. And to be fair, those experiences are what I try to pass on when I'm giving advice to some of our younger guys. Now, it's it's not necessarily where you are; it's how many minutes and game time you get. Talking of coaches, um, Bruce, you you came home to play under Miron Bleiberg at uh, Gold Coast uh, with Clive Palmer, of course, in, in charge of the club. That must have been a, an interesting experience, even though it was only for one season. Very interesting. Um, <laughs> Clive, very interesting character. Miron, <laughs> a very interesting character. Um, <laughs> there were, uh, Thwaiti was in the team, very interesting character. So it was, a, it was an entertaining uh, bunch. Um, but 
great respect for Miron. I thought he was fantastic in managing the squad. Had a lot of, um, not egos, but, you know, players with strong characters. You know, we had a good team and, and he really kept that authority over, over everyone. Um, unorthodox, you could say, but very intelligent uh, individual, Miron Blyberg. Um, you know, we just missed out on, on going to that grand final that year, which was disappointing. And obviously towards the back end, a lot of players started signing elsewhere because the writing was a bit on the wall with, with Clive, uh, you know, reading between the lines. He was saying that he was going to wind the, the club up in, in, in other words. So, you know, a lot of people started to leave, but a fantastic um, team, fantastic uh, club. Everyone was really passionate up there. Clive was really passionate. You know, he was at all the games. Um, and for someone who had so much on his plate, he took a keen interest in, in the team and how it was going. Um, so not a negative word to say about Gold Coast. It was a fantastic experience. Really enjoyed it with the boys and, and the people at the club there. And, and Bruce, you touch on Clive Palmer. I mean, unfortunately, because Clive Palmer would go and still probably does daily in terms of the news that comes out about, about Clive, um, but he wasn't, a, he wasn't a silly man. Well, he, he, at one stage there at Seabus or Skilled, I'm not sure what it was called at the time, maybe Skilled, uh, where he capped the, the attendance to, to 5,000. Now, you're in a position where you'll really understand uh, the, the, the financial um, decision that he made there. And, and it, wasn't, it wasn't a silly decision. So he had a lot of good things that he certainly could have contributed uh, to the game. But because he went so regular... Um, that, that, that bark, I guess, and, and us listening to the information, it kind of it was lost a little bit. Clive was, you, you, mate, you hit the nail on the head. Clive essentially was saying what all the owners have said for the last three years and court created the split from A-League and, and FFA. Clive was saying that in 2011. <laughs> like, this model doesn't work, guys. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm a yeah. billionaire. That's all well and good. But it's irrational to throw money at this thing. It's ridiculous. So, but the way he conveyed that message, I think, um, I don't say lot, lost respect, but people didn't take him as seriously as they should have because of the way uh, uh, he gave the message, you know, the way the message was, was delivered. But, you know, fast forward seven years, um, all the owners were agitating for what Clive was talking to them about. You know, yeah, all that time head, ago. So he's the head of the game. Yeah. So he wasn't a he wasn't a silly man. No, not at all. Um, Bruce, one more question about your your playing career, and then we'll move on to obviously what's going on now and some Twitter questions. But uh, I just want to talk very briefly about your second spell with Adelaide. Five years, uh, initially under Josep Gombau, and then Guillaume Moore. You won the title that wonderful day at Adelaide Oval in 2016. You won the cup under Josep Gombau. They they were the best years of your career you'd say? I think so. I think, you know, the standard of coaching that Giuseppe and, and Amor brought in very different ways was just something I hadn't seen before. I reckon Postacoglu is the only one who, 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 who was up there um, with them. And I'm talking about the, the Postacoglu pre-Craig uh, uh, Foster rant, you know, not the Postacoglu of today who's, you know, the best Aussie coach, you know, yeah. clearly. Um, but Giuseppe was, you know, all those things. If, if, if I had Giuseppe prior to going to Turkey, my career would have probably been very different just in, the, in, in how much I learned from him, how to play the game, the organisation of the team, the rotations, you know, so many elements of our game, 
that everyone knew everyone else's job. You know, it wasn't just a talented bunch of players. Everyone knew the rules. Everyone knew what everyone else was going to do. There was that real cohesion. Um, probably not as polished as Ange's Brisbane Raw, but of the same mould. And, and that was all because Giuseppe, he revolutionised the, the whole entire club. You know, uh, we did a survey of all our members during COVID um, to build some, some values and, and mission statement and all the rest. And of all the, you know, the, I'd say 70% plus of those rusted on members, their favourite or most memorable era was the Giuseppe Conbao era. His name came up so many times. Not only was he a good coach and the way that our team played was, was really attractive football, um, he was also passionate and, and, and all the rest really resonated with the, the members. Guillermo, very different. Um, much more laissez-faire in terms of the way we played, especially in attack. Um, and boys were still craving that Giuseppe regimented um, um, instructions. But Guillermo, <laughs> having been such a good player and playing with such good players, honestly, I remember a team meeting when, you know, we were sort of trying to explain to him, we need a bit more information, Guillermo. What do you want us to do when the ball's here? What do you want us to do when, when the situation's like this? And he gave us an example of, of his son going to school. When my son went to school, I'd help him with his homework. You know, when my son went to high school, I'd check that he did his homework. It's like, now my son's in university in London. I'm not checking on his homework anymore. He's like, are you guys professional players? Yeah. You don't need to know if it's one or two touch in this situation or if to put pressure here or to drop off there. You guys know that. <laughs> we're like, yeah, well, we're not a Barcelona. <laughs> and not that you have to be a Barcelona, but like, with respect, like, you know, we have no egos now. It's like, it's the A-League. Um, we, need, we need more information than that. You know, you're not paying 50 million to bring someone who has all that knowledge and can read the game perfectly and everything and it all works perfectly. You're talking to guys who 50% of the time probably making the wrong decision. You know, the only reason it's not being caught out 50% of the time is because the opposition isn't <laughs> reading the game as well to, to punish us and all this sort of stuff. So that was the difference. Giuseppe really treated it like kindergarten. You've got to do this at this time. That really worked for us. Yeah, yeah. Guillermo was much more laissez-faire. You guys are professionals. Like, what do you mean? But over time, he got it. And where he really was uh, uh, at his best was in that finals run when he was so calm. Like, this is a guy who's played Champions League, obviously, and all the, all the rest. Like, he was just so calm. You know, Giuseppe was heart on the sleeve type of guy. Guillermo was, you know, we didn't win a game in the first nine. He's like, yeah, it's football. It's fine, yeah, yeah. you know, and that really saved our season. His his uh, his approach to to the game. Um, Bruce, your, your current role, director of football, uh, an awful lot of comings and goings. Spider stolen your goalkeeper, taken Paul Lazo over to Greece. You've lost that Trojan Ryan. horse. That was a Trojan horse campaign, Spider. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you've lost uh, Riley McGree as well. Christian opseth has gone. Taras Gamulka, Lachlan Brook, uh, Mirko Boland, Nikola Milosevic. Uh, you and Carl and Ross, you, you got your work cut out a bit ahead of the new A-League season, whatever that might be. It is, it is. It's, it's difficult. I mean, people are stopping me in the street and stuff all the time and saying, you know, 
you sold Riley, you know, who are we going to get? And all this sort of stuff. But it was the same last year when I first started and, and Isaias had already gone before I started, but, but we sold Craig Goodwin last, uh, you know, in the equivalent window last year. And everyone was, you know, Goodwin, 11 goals, 10 assists or something like that. Isaias, the talisman of the team. You know, what are we going to do? We're screwed. Um, but without them moving on, we'd never get Riley McGree. Yeah. Right. So, so this is this is the message I'm trying to tell people. The difficulty is gets more and more difficult to like. There's no other Riley McGree, and this comes back to development pathways and 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 all the rest. But because there's not a conveyor belt of talent in Australia, um, replacing the 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 uh, really good players is increasingly difficult every year. And, you know, the young boys will surprise you. You know, you'll uncover a Toure or you'll yep. uncover a Dorigo. Um, that's great. But, you, you know, I, I, for the life of me, can't find another Riley before next season. Yeah. You know, Bruce, very difficult. Mate, I love, I love the messaging. I've been watching your interviews coming out of, of Adelaide United in terms of the type of club that um, Adelaide United want to be in terms of South Australian proud. Uh, obviously, opportunity for, for local players if, there's a few gaps. You will then start to, to look elsewhere. Um, but in terms of those players that you've touched on uh, and, and the moves that they've made, we've seen a lot of Australian players you know, go to the India and the likes. And I know that you're quite proud as a club that you're developing these players, but they're going to more traditional football markets in terms of career. And that's, and, and, and that's why, uh, you know, for example... You know, I don't want to harp on it, but you lose a guy like uh, Taras Gomulka. And honestly, for me, I want the guy to have the best career that he can possibly have. But for the life of me, I can't believe that he doesn't think that that's here. You know, I mean, the, the, I, I'm a football director that having been a past player and being sold by this club twice, um, you know, once to Turkey, once to Korea, I don't, I'm not trying to change someone to a fence here. You know, I said to Riley when, like, my pitch to Riley in signing him was like, mate, I'm going to give you a three-year deal. I don't want you to be here in year three. Yeah. That's not the, that's not the game plan here. You know, if, I, and, you know, I slept, you know, three hours a night for the last four days of that transfer window because I was talking to these guys in Europe trying to make the deal work, especially with Riley going to the MLS, but straight loan to Birmingham. Because we got sell-on clauses in some of these contracts, so it's in our interest yep. that Riley doesn't go to an MLS club that's not playing a competition game for eighteen months. It's like, well, where are you sending it? Yeah, because that's of interest to us, and it's obviously of interest to the player. But you know, I can then obviously they got their agents and, and all the rest. But I actually try to stay impartial. Obviously, the club's got to make some money um, off the fee, and the deals that tend to be fair deals. I'm not saying Riley's worth $5 million because that's not a fair deal. And that will cause a transfer to, to, to the deal to, to fall over. Um, but what I, what I would do is, is always you know, try to put sell-on clauses in because with all due respect to the A-League, it's, it, at, at the end of the day, a European market isn't looking at the A-League and spending 10 million euros. They're not going to do that. You know, what they will do, if he's in the championship and he does half as well as what he's done here, Excellent. straight away the credibility of the player goes through the roof. Because, yeah, he scored a hat-trick or, yeah, he's doing really well. But 
can you do it in our league? That's what they're saying. You know, and to be frank, I got the same feeling when I look at MPL players, for example. Yep. Doing really well in the MPL, but can he make that jump into the A-League? Well, I'll give you the hot tip now. I'm not going to spend money, especially during COVID, to take that gamble. Do you know what I mean? So I can see it from both sides. And we really pride ourselves on a, on a club that not only promotes the players and, and allows them to play multiple games and, and accumulate a lot of minutes because they are good enough. It's not a charity. They have to be good enough. Um, but we also want to help the player progress. We understand our place in the, in the football ecosystem. You know, we're, we're not Man United. We're not pretend to be Man United. So, so Bruce, can I, can I ask you a question? With, with everything you're saying, and it's, mm. it's great information, and our listeners uh, will love to hear this. So it's clear to say that we are a development league. So our job is I to believe, develop players yeah. and sell yeah. players. Yeah, well, and I don't think there's any shame in that. The Dutch league is a development league. Ajax Correct. is a development club. Correct. I mean, and you know what? The numbers are different, right? But every player at Ajax wants to go to Real Madrid or Barcelona or Juventus or Man City or Man United. They all want to go. No yeah. one wants to stay at Ajax for their whole career. No. So I just think it is a complete, you know, you, you, you really got to be a little bit delusional, if I'm honest, to think that we're, we are the greatest club in the world and, you know, we're not going to sell any of our players, you know. It's, it's just not going to happen. We, we operate in a marketplace that's global and there's a lot of moving parts. All you guys would know this. There's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of shifting plates. There's a lot of economic forces that move. And honestly... We are a very small part of that market. Look at our transfer. Uh, look at the transfer fees we generate compared to the global transfer market. We are a minute part of that. And the sooner that we all understand that, and it's hard for the fans. They, they, they become accustomed to a player. They, they have a favorite player. That player's performing for them. Of course, they don't want that player to leave. But if they can understand the reasons, the method behind the madness, then they're much more uh, uh, willing and able to accept the departure of the best players. The best players will always leave, but they're Bruce, always replaceable. Bruce, right? It's not easy, but it's possible. It, Bruce, that does lead us on uh, quite nicely to our um, question of the week. Uh, congratulations to Vitor Bruno, who wins our $100 voucher for the Outback Steakhouse. We'll get that off to you very soon. Uh, Vitor's question is this, and it's on a similar theme. All the noise coming out of Adelaide is how you want to develop kids, which I'm all for, but I, I never hear how much you want to win championships. What, what's the number one goal? Is it to develop kids or is it to win titles? It's a good question. Yeah, it's a good question and, and, and it's a smart question. And, and, you know, they're not mutually exclusive, right? So we do want to win championships. That's why you keep... That's why you go and sign a Troisi. That's why you keep the, the Michael Maronis and the, the Jordan Elsies around. There's players who are very good A-League players that may only want to play in the A-League. There's players who are, are more mature players that just want to win an A-League title, which is fantastic. That's great. You need to find a mix. And we harp on about youth and development and giving kids a chance, but... What we're trying to find is that balance. If you just put a team of kids on the park, 
If things aren't going well, it's not good for anyone. No. Right? They and, and who are they learning off? Right? So, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that the senior players can teach the young boys on the field. It's not just up to the coaches. So winning championships, and you can win championships with a young side, but it's very important for us to find a balance. It's too easy just to, we'll just play our youth team in the A-League. <laughs> you know, th that's not what we're trying to achieve here. We're trying to find that balance. Yes, it's skewed a bit to, to, the, to the youth side, and, and that's uh, what we were doing pre-COVID. COVID sort of exemplified that a little bit, but... I'll tell you now, there's, there's two key positions we're looking to recruit for and, and we're looking at senior players for, for those two positions because we acknowledge that, you know what, we've got enough youth at the moment. Yeah. Okay, uh, just, just time for one more before uh, maybe some final thoughts from Maury and, and Spider. Um, there is a little bit of a rumour that you might be moving into politics at some uh, point. And, and Gary has tweeted us to ask, is your aim to be Premier of South Australia or are you looking to become the Prime Minister of Australia? I think uh, anyone who moves into politics to become Premier or Prime Minister is what's wrong with politics, right? <laughs> <laughs> if you want to get into politics, it's because you want to make the community, South Australia and Australia, a better place. It's not for, it's not for yourself sort of gratitude, if you like. So... Um, Look, there's interest there. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna deny that there's that there's interest there. But it's you know my ambitions are not to be the, the premier or the prime minister of, uh, of Australia. That's 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 not. <laughs> Maybe the premier of Adelaide United. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a very good job at the moment. So let me just help the club wade through this COVID storm. And uh, when I get my a chance to get up for a breath of a breath of air, then, then I might think about other things. But at the moment, it's, it's all Adelaide United for me. Any, anything to add, uh, Maury and Spider, before we close? We're almost out of time. Well, you know, you know I've got to ask you the serious questions. Uh, Here comes. The, the best ground you've ever played at. And he loves the this biggest question. Dungeon, the biggest dungeon you've ever played at. The best ground. You know what? The best... Mm, Difficult. The best atmosphere, like the best ground with the best atmosphere was Besiktas in uh, Istanbul. Um, that was just unreal. The, the, the fans are so crazy and they're so close. You actually feel like your life's under threat. <laughs> but yeah. it's, it's a really good buzz. Um, the worst, the worst would be... The dungeon of all dungeons. <laughs> Mate, we played, we played in Medan. Um, this one I was in Indonesia. We played in Medan. Uh, shocking pitch, you know, it was just, you know, thunderstorm, disaster. The lights went out halfway through the warm-up, had to go back into the change room. The generator wasn't working. Uh, that's when I thought, you know what, I've got to just uh, give this game away. It's not... <laughs> you know, this, is, this is rock bottom. So, Medan in Indonesia. Okay. There you go. Um, Unfortunately, more equal one. Yeah, final question, Bruce. It's a little bit more about obviously your role at the club and the and the the future, uh, I guess, of Australian football. What, what do you see the next three to five years looking like? Briefly, Look, if you I can, think, Bruce. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I think there's a bit of indigestion in in terms of football at the moment. There's a lot of things moving. The A League separation from FFA, um, winning the Women's World Cup. So there's there's a lot of positives in there. Then you throw in COVID, 
the financial impacts, no TV deal, and, and, and sort of some of these unknowns, um, it'll take probably a couple of years to wade through that and, and, and um, start to go on an upward trajectory. But I think the game's, especially at a grassroots level, so when you look at the federations, it's very healthy. There's a lot of kids that want to play. There's a Women's World Cup coming. Um, there, there's a lot of government support for, for the game, especially as that Women's World Cup um, um, nears. You know, that, that side of the game is actually really, really strong. Where it's a bit more unknown is at the elite level, the professional, the A-League level, you know. But there's some smart minds there um, working on a few things uh, uh, behind the scenes. There's, there's a lot of money that's been invested that, you know, people don't want to crystallise those losses. So there's, there's, there's going to be... We're going to need to be innovative. It's going to be a different market. It's going to be a challenging one. But I think that... You know, the, the A-League will get better and better from, from, from this point on. Obviously, it's, it's had its downward spiral. Um, it's sort of plateaued, uh, I'd say, last season, if I'm, if I'm brutally honest. And I think it's just refinding its, its, its level, re- yeah. refinding uh, who it appeals to, uh, refinding sort of salary of players and, and, and the financial sort of model of, of the competition. And from that solid foundation... It should go on an upward trajectory from here on. But it is a, a couple yeah. of years to, to, to get there. Bruce, uh, we could go on for hours, but unfortunately the clock has beaten us. Thank you so much for being a part of the podcast today. We really appreciate it, mate. It's a pleasure. Pleasure to be on. Thanks, Brucey. Cheers, mate. Good luck this year. Thanks. Thanks, Joe. And that is, that is us for another week. Join us again, same, same time, same place next week for another Shim Spider and so much more. Bye for now. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.